This is Emperor GM Lance, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Even I do not have enough conflict to hand out in a show hosted by GM Dave. <laughs> something, something dark side. The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. Live. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast, brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and the generous donations of Jared Williams, Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, Sean Kumar, Darren Hampton, Andy Bethel, B. Witzel, and Balaam's Blasters. is up gamer nation gm chris here and if you're tuning in for the very first time welcome to the order 66 podcast the original podcast entirely devoted to star wars role-playing and uh, i am joined after much too long of a hiatus by two men of verve vigor valor and valiant vivacity my co-hosts illustrious men both of them gm dave and gm phil homeboys how we do yeah hey we are here. We are valiantly fighting the very good fight. <laughs> Tell Mortimer to fuck off. Hey, fuck language. Language. Oh, wait. Q, Q, I'm sorry. Q the BBC. Yeah, language. Language, language, language. Um, <laughs> yeah, but in, in all seriousness, yeah, fuck language. Fuck cancer. Um, <laughs> fuck cancer. <laughs> fuck, can- fuck cancer, Phil. I mean, dude, a lot of us have been following you on Facebook, but, you know, our last episode we had almost two months ago, um, you know, you were telling us about your struggle and, and, and the cancer treatment you're going through, man. You want to give the world an update, bro? I know your your throat is not tip-top, and you're still a courageous pimp for doing this show tonight. Yeah, no, sure, that'd be fine. Um, I am at the tail end of week five of uh, chemo and radiation. Um I don't recognize myself in the mirror anymore because I've had to shave my beard off and I'm down to 206 pounds. 
from the 246 I was back at Gamer Nation Con. Um, so yeah, um, but other than that, I'm tired. I'm here, and it's a struggle, but it's a fight. It's a good fight, and I got a lot of support and a lot of help. And I want to send a big shout out to all of y'all that are out there that are that sent me words and kind remarks out of the blue to my email, to me on Facebook. Uh, I don't know half of you who have, but it's been a big help. So for, from my heart to all of you out there, thanks. I need that. We love you, bro. And you're going to kick cancer's ass. Couple more, tre- a couple more treatments, maybe, uh, maybe a week and a half, and then I'm done. Ooh, and then, and then, you know, you know, you got to look at the bright side here. You know, when it's done, it, you know, if you it, with a little bit of effort, you can stay at that, you know, two o four that you're at, buddy. That's what I'm kind of <laughs> eyeballing. I'm like, I'm kind of gonna dig this. Let's let's see if we can maintain this weight. <laughs> but then I have a fear that as soon as I get my taste buds back and I can taste things again, I'm gonna go on some kind of massive binge. That would be me. That would be I. Uh, all right, man. Binge and purge. Binge and purge. No problem. <laughs> no, don't binge or purge, please. Any young ladies <laughs> listening to this podcast, please do not do that. <laughs> please do not do that. The Order 66 podcast does not recommend binging and purging. Does not recommend eating disorders of any kind, um, unless they are induced by chemotherapy. Uh, <laughs> Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> Well, man, it, guys, it's been I've I'm I've missed the hell out of you two. It's been almost two months since we've gotten a show out between Phil's issues and Dave. You've been traveling, and I've been I've been gallivanting around the freaking world like mad for work, and we just haven't. Well, and I had been, knee surgery too. Yes, and you had knee surgery. That's right. Oh, so it's it's been a crazy time, Gamer Nation. Thank you all for for waiting. Uh, so patiently and so wonderfully, it was really heartening to see um, all the Facebook messages, and we got some emails as well. You know, you guys, oh my God, are you guys okay? What's going on? And and all the outpourings of uh, you know from from the fandom, and um, it it's really awesome. So I'm excited. Any for- other community? I swear to God, any other community would have started flaming. Yeah, I would agree. Nobody, nobody. The gamer nation is awesome. Nobody, but that's the gamer nation because the gamer nation rocks hard. And tonight, we're going to rock hard for you. we got a fantastic show planned, um, a meet topic by listener request. I'm really excited to kind of get back to this. We haven't done one of these in a while. Um, but do you guys want to kick off with some announcements? Get going. Let's go. Rock and roll. Let's do it. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. What we got? All right, feature podcast this week. Um, <clears throat> guys, if you're not listening to the Eberron Renewed podcast from the Geek Pantheon crew, dudes, you are truly missing out on one of the most entertaining and fun live play podcasts out there. So GM Eric and the boys have just released episode number 30 following a shocking PC death that left the GM and players at a loss for words. The group of excellent PCs and a truly superb GM really explore, experiment, and have fun with their story like, you know, few others do. 
If you're a GM or a player, you can learn a lot from this show. Role-playing lessons, training in proper group dynamics to GM success, and foibles, and narrative story enhancement, all that stuff. So if you're not listening, go listen. So you can, of course, find this and lots of other great shows at www.d20radio.com. Fantasy Flight Games News. Man, in our hiatus, lots of amazing content content went up on the FFG site. Uh, Ghost of Dathomir is finally off the boat. Woo! Can you believe it? I thought they were stuck in the freaking Bermuda Triangle somehow. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Supposed to come out in March and finally came out. Perhaps the most anticipated adventure module yet. It is now free to be purchased in by the public. Go and get the public. Is, uh, there was a fantastic article by guest writer Brian Young, the GM Guide, The Ultimate Sacrifice. Uh, it's a brilliant article about GMing desperate heroes. Uh, for those groups who want to capture the feel of Rogue One and are ready to make the ultimate sacrifice, uh, it's a very insightful and well, well-written well advice for any GM. Um, I can probably keep going. Uh, yeah. Fantasy Flight Games teased their first era book, Dawn of Rebellion which arrived this quarter with the article Imperial Living, which told us quite a bit. Uh, the book will have six, check this out, six universal specializations. That's so cool. <laughs> one of which is titled The Re- Retired Clone Trooper. Uh. And four new species, which includes the, the Gigorians, the gentle giants of Gigor, who are also known as, who are also nicknamed the Snow Wookiees. <laughs> it's the abominable snowman from Reindeer, from a uh from uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, well, Seriously. they're they're like two meters tall, too. They're freaking huge. Um, yeah. Uh, but, dude, six universal specializations? Six? That's, six. That's unfreaking. That's cool. I wonder if one I wonder if one of them is going to be like Fulcrum Agent. Ooh. Huh. That would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, now, we had two articles continue to tease the forthcoming Cyphers and Masks. The Age of Rebellion, Sourcebook for Spies, The Compromised Perimeter, article dealt with the new courier specialization and the backstabbing Balosar species, and the article in plain sight previewed the new sleeper agent spec and goes into some of the spy-themed weapons and equipment in the book, such as the CS-14 Ghost Light Blaster Pistol and the Vidvox, Vidvox Scrambler. Guys, head on over to fantasyflightgames.com and check out those articles right now in their news section if you haven't already. Word. And uh, while you stealthily flit your fingers across the keyboard, uh, be sure to gather some secret... To that. So, Oh, yeah, thank you. Be sure to gather some, some, some secret intel over at d20radio.com, the only gaming blog that totally guarantees, without any reservations whatsoever, in complete honesty and truth, that we are not selling your data to the Bothan Spynet, we swear. Really? <laughs> some highlights of the past week. Um, in honor of Halloween week, we got some creepy stuff in store. Lynn Whitson hits us up with an article in her astral projection column. Uh, creepy or not, Halloween RPG scenarios where the queen of the dice herself lays down her favorite spooky adventures and scenarios for everything from FFG Star Wars. Dave, she also pimps out your module there. Um, Uh-oh. Yeah, buddy. Which was, a, it's a creepy freaking module. Um, it is creepy. It is creepy. 
Um, to D&D, to Mutants and Masterminds. Uh, for players who really want to get their creepy groove on for Halloween-themed RPG sessions, the article is right up your alley. And if you want to get your creepy board game groove on this Halloween, our own editor-in-chief, Wayne Basta, brings the spooks with some brilliantly-themed board game suggestions in a separate article. So check it out. And you guys can find all this and more daily, brand new content daily, from some of the finest gaming minds in the community only at d20radio.com. So, if you guys have been paying attention to Facebook and you probably got an email, if you were a backer of the, or attendee last year for Gamer Nation Con Quattro, uh, we've got an announcement that Gamer Nation Con number five, the order of the gamers. Is going to be April 5th through 8th, 2018 uh, in Plano. Of course, you knew that. You did. We announced it some time ago. Guest of honor is Sterling Hershey. He's <gasps> coming. That is new. You, I think I think, I think. think they didn't know that. I think, I think they didn't know that. And it's about damn time that Sterling, who has come to this convention several times before, um, is finally honored as the amazing guest of honor that he is. Indeed. So, guest of honor, Sterling Hershey. And the highly popular digital gaming experience, The Staggering Dragon Returneth, which I'm sure you're all hoping for, so I'm glad to say that. And the most important thing is the Kickstarter kicks tomorrow morning. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. So the Kickstarter is the only way to guarantee entrance into the convention. There are, well, it's the same the same thing we did last year. There's some MVG spots out there that I guarantee will go very quickly. So wake up early and logeth on kickstarter.com. <laughs> we got, what, 12 MG, MVG spots this year. And um, I think we're in a character limit uh, thing with the benefits. But just to be clear, because... You know, for the MVGs, not only are you going to get some special swag, you'll get special seats at the end of a con auction, um, a lot of other cool perks, free drinks. Um, you will also be guaranteed an MVG exclusive game with myself, with GM Dave, with the Staggering Dragon crew at their digital table, and you will be guaranteed a game run by our guest of honor, Sterling Hershey. So, dang Skippy, brother. Pretty freaking cool. I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. I also, Phil, I can't wait for Genesis to come out so that we can finish our Harry Potter treatment. <laughs> oh, that's oh, going to yes. be so fun. So fun. I've been... Oh, and you know what? And your Harry Potter is going to be, uh, is going to be released at, when Gamer Nation Con starts as a part of the, what, the, the download backer zone thing. If not sooner, yeah. Yep. If not sooner. So, I mean, yeah, part of so if, all backers, even obviously if you're a minimum level, just getting into the backer zone. So you have access to the vault this year. You can check out the Kickstarter tomorrow. We've already got a couple things ready to go in the vault. Um, there's one phenomenal. Who was the author who contributed that hundred page campaign module? Oh, man, you would ask me that and I would have it. It was freaking brilliant. Just yeah, I mean, last you know, the last couple of years, we've we've managed to scrape together two, three modules, right? Maybe four. Mm -hmm. This is like eight to ten modules worth of content. Damn. Yeah, 
It's it's absolutely staggering. Um, hey, you see what I did there? Staggering. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, obviously, uh, Phil and I have been working on the Harry Potter treatment. I am working on a different treatment as well um, that I, I should have finished by the springtime. And Phil, you're working on a different treatment as well. Do you want to tease it? Absolutely. Uh, I am going to be working on a theme for City of Heroes. <laughs> this makes me giggle. I am. Yep. I am absolutely, absolutely thrilled. Um, but you know, aside from the treatments uh, that will be up there uh, after Genesis drops, um, we have the huge module Dave teased. Um, we have uh, by the end of the month, it'll be fully formatted and ready to get into. Uh, by the end of next month, it'll be fully formatted and it, it's already been written. Uh, it'll be formatted and ready to get into the vault. Um, uh, Kevin Frain and Paul Pennington, Paulie Pennington, uh, finished their epic two-part module, which is going to be in. Um, and also, we have a contribution from the incredible module author, Michaela Donaldson, um, who has specialized in converting the old West End Games modules into FFG Star Wars modules. You know, I subscribe nice. to her Patreon. Yeah, she is absolutely amazing, and she's been kind enough to offer up uh, one of her, her modules that ha- is is ready to go. It hasn't been released to the public yet, and that will be in there. So we got a pretty, you know, any any pledge will have access to this year's vault. There's going to be a lot of great stuff in there. And we got some other rewards, too, so check it out. It's, and by it's the way, it was Trey, Trey Lewis. Trey Lewis. The 100-page campaign that is guaranteed to take you a year to get through. <laughs> maybe depends on how often you play some groups be crazy so Dude. anyway gamer nation keep your eyes peeled um uh, to kickstarter or of course we will we will tweet and facebook the heck out of this if you're not following um uh the the gamer nation con facebook page please do so um we we've been posting a lot here in the last few months as we're getting excited and prepped um uh dave you finished uh, you you finished all the designs for the uh the swag um, or not the swag, the uh, the gamer cred for this coming year. All the yeah, all the gamer cred buttons are done. Are done. I put a few on the Kickstarter. And guys, uh, through Facebook on the Gamer Nation Con page, um, every week uh, until the con, we will be well on the website. We'll have all the uh, all, all of them listed, but we'll be uh, revealing these designs, uh, several of them in the coming weeks, to kind of give you some more teases and give you some things to work forward, look forward to, and kind of plan your 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 gamer cred journey as you visit in 2018. So it's going to be awesome. Diamond Gamer, Diamond GM. <laughs> so, stay in the know by following Detone Radio on the Facebooks and news and podcast info on a daily basis. You can also follow the GMs on Twitter at D20 Radio. We post and tweet show info and announcements regularly. Wahoo, wahoo. All right, guys. Well, I think it's time we stop down for a little bit and return to another episode of Gaming Tidbits with GM Hooley. A segment where, in about 10 minutes, our own Aussie for Hire, GM Hooli, will delve into a specific topic of the FFG Star Wars system, bringing together scattered rules and dev rulings, summarizing all major points and answered questions, everything you need to know about that tidbit to run it in your games. And in tonight's gaming tidbit, Hooli continues with vehicle combat in an epic prequel to his escape from Soleil. Let's listen. Hello there, I am M8AU, Human Cyborg Relations. Welcome to Gaming Tidbits with GM Hooli, a podcast where we will discuss specific rules within the Star Wars role-playing game. You are looking for GM Hooli, are you not? Very well, sir. 
This way, please. Kavit, my honest Tordarian friend. Look, I know you have the best vehicles on Soleil, but I'm just not sure this is the vehicle I'm looking for. But of course it is. I could give you an incredible bargain on it right now. Perhaps you could discuss it with your friends. Friends? What friends? GM Hooley. Yes, sir, mate. Sir, a friend to see you? Oh, hello again. You've just caught me in the middle of buying a new speeder. I need it for a special job I'm running, if you know what I mean. The salesman here says that the speeder is exactly what I want, but I'm just not sold on the idea. What do you think? What? Look at its statistics? Good call. That's a great idea. As you know, vehicle statistics are listed in every core rulebook, adventure, and supplement for the three Star Wars role-playing game systems. They are literally everywhere, but not everyone understands all of the intricacies of the system and how it relates to the vehicles and their use in the game, including combat. A Drusillian once told me that reading Starship stat blocks are like reading the instruction manuals on a Hydra spanner. <laughs> Crazy Drusillians. But seriously, vehicle stat blocks are not that difficult to understand, and since I'm always happy to help, let me break it down for you. A vehicle stat block can be broken down into several components, namely the core block, supplementary data, and weapons. The core block is the crunch of the stat block and provides the information that you will need to utilize a vehicle in combat scenarios. It provides the silhouette, the speed, and handling as the first three numbers. The silhouette is the size of the vehicle in comparison to other vehicles. The size of a vehicle increases exponentially the higher the number. Silhouette is used to determine the difficulty to move through debris fields and hazardous terrain, as well as assisting to determine the difficulty of firing weapons from the vehicle and when the vehicle is being fired upon. The speed is how fast the vehicle can move. We'll cover this more in the next episode, but speed is the other factor of determining the difficulty of moving through hazardous terrain. Speed can also be used to determine the difficulty when executing the gain the advantage action and is also utilized when performing chase scenes. The handling rating is how well the vehicle can perform dangerous maneuvers and indicates the number of boost or setback dice used when making a piloting action. Handling is represented by a negative number, a positive number, or a zero. A positive number provides the number of boost dice applied to any piloting check, while the negative number provides the number of setback dice applied, whilst a zero indicates that no additional boost or setback dice are added to the check due to the vehicle's handling. A second row of numbers lists the defense zones of the vehicle. The numbers listed are the number of shields that a vehicle's arc has. Vehicles have four defense zones, namely forward, port, starboard, and aft. Each of these zones has a number of between zero and four, which indicates how many setback dice are applied to a check when that vehicle is being targeted in that zone. Vehicles with a silhouette of between 1 and 4 only have a front and aft arc, while vehicles with a silhouette of 5 or more utilize all defense zones. The next number across is the vehicle's armor rating. This works very similar to Soak in personal combat, and removes the number of points of damage equal to its rating before damage is applied to the hull trauma threshold. And this brings us to the bottom two numbers of the right-hand side of the core block. These are the hull trauma threshold and system strain threshold. These work very similar to the way that wounds and strain in personal scale combat do. When a vehicle takes damage from debris or weapons fire, any damage is reduced by the vehicle's armor, and the remainder, if any, is applied to the vehicle's hull trauma. 
If a vehicle exceeds its hull trauma threshold, one of a number of things could occur. If a vehicle has a silhouette of three or less and the vehicle is not of any importance, the vehicle is destroyed. Vehicles with a silhouette of four or more or other smaller vehicles which are a little bit more important let's say a character's starfighter, automatically take a critical hit and likely end up as a lifeless hulk adrift in space or in the case of an atmospheric vehicle, may crash. In either case, it may be time to evacuate. System strain, however, represents the internal workings and durability of a vehicle's systems. If the amount of system strain applied exceeds the system strain threshold, the vehicle slows to zero in the following round, no systems operate within the vehicle, and again, the vehicle reverts to something akin to a stone. All isn't lost, though, as a crewman can attempt to get a ship up and running with a mechanics check based on the amount of system strain sustained. Well, that's fairly easy to understand. Exactly. I cannot wait forever, you know. I have other customers to deal with. Well, perhaps you can bring me a data card on, say, that blue one with the triple fins and extra cargo space? Excellent choice, my friend. I'll be back in a moment. Sure. The second part of the vehicle stat block is that of the supplementary data. This provides all the information needed to use the vehicle in a campaign and includes everything from the type of vehicle, its hyperdrive capability, its sensors, crew, passengers, the number of days it can last in space, even its carrying capacity, its cost, and most importantly, the number of hard points the vehicle has. Several key things are listed here, specifically the vehicle's hyperdrive, its complement, and its sensors. These areas can play a part in vehicle combat, especially the vehicle's complement. There are several positions on a vehicle, namely pilot, co-pilot, astromech socket, engineer, loadmasters, and technicians, to name a few. There are no rules for what these different positions can do. However, it stands to reason that if a vehicle does not have a co-pilot position, the co-pilot action cannot be performed on that vehicle. What the other positions are meant to achieve is unknown, but game masters may apply boost die to actions or manoeuvres where the use of that position could act in a similar way as a Rule 4 right tool for the job. An example may be that a Starship's bridge has a technician station. Perhaps that station has enhanced hardware or software when dealing with sensors and allows a boost dice to be provided. Another example may be where there is an engineering station where a boost dice can be applied to perform the damage control action when repairing vehicle damage. The options are literally endless. But what I would suggest is running any ideas that you have past your Game Master first before requesting for them to be applied in your game. And also, let's not forget that Astromex can only perform their special actions and manoeuvres as provided in the Age of Rebellion supplement Stay on Target, if the vehicle is equipped with an Astromex socket. If it's not, unfortunately they will just act like any normal characters on board that ship. Here, is it what you're after? Thanks. Um, perhaps I can look under the hood? No problem. Excellent. Anything but a good customer, such as yourself. Now, while we're here, let's take a look at hyperdrives. The hyperdrive normally has a primary class drive and a backup class drive. The number listed for each is how many times you multiply the time needed to go from one place to another. So, if a trip would normally take 10 hours on a class 1 hyperdrive and you had a class 2 hyperdrive, you would arrive at your destination in 20 hours. The backup hyperdrive though is only used when things go horribly wrong, but you absolutely have to get there. 
Backup hyperdrives can range from not having one at all, all the way up to a class 15. Let's just say that I'd hate to be trying to limp my way on a backup hyperdrive from, say, Hoth to Cloud City. So, is it to your liking, Mr. Giamuli? Yeah, I think this is a one. Can I take it for a test drive? Well, perhaps you could give me your blaster or ship's logs or something, just so I know you will turn it in one piece. Have I got the kind of face that would lie? <laughs> you seem like a trustworthy fellow. Just bring it back in one piece, alright? No funny business. Excellent. Hey, wanna come for a ride? Oh, I can't say that I'm a fan of driving, sir. Come on, M8. Where's your sense of adventure, my friend? Oh, dear. Wow, this is amazing. She hums like a loft cat. Let's talk about sensors. Sensors are something that can be used in combat, mainly to perform the actions such as spoof missiles, scan the enemy and slice enemy systems. The amount listed for sensors is the range of its passive mode. At this range, the vehicle systems automatically provides the crew with certain details about their surroundings. So it's basic telemetry. When switched to active mode though, sensors increase by one range band, but can now only be focused on one fire arc. Using a sensor in this manner is an easy computer's check, or one purple die, modified by any number of environmental or manufactured effects. Lastly, let's talk about weapons. This always goes badly, sir. Are you sure we have to talk about it? Absolutely. Oh dear. Most vehicles have weapons, and if they don't, you seriously need to consider it. Each weapon group or type is provided with its own row, and includes the location of the weapon, the number of weapons that there are, and their configurations such as twin, triple, or quad. Each weapon also lists its firing arcs, damage, critical rating, range, and any special qualities. With weapon qualities, pay close attention to breach, guided, limited ammo, linked and slow firing. Breach allows you to ignore a number of points of vehicle armor equal to a breach rating. Limited ammo means that you should watch out how many times you're using them because you'll run out of them pretty fast. Linked allows you to gain another hit with the use of two advantages at the same damage as the first hit. This can be replicated a number of times equal to the quality's rating. Very handy indeed. Lastly, slow firing is exactly that, slow to reload. These weapons take a number of turns to reload equal to the quality's rating. Now, you'll notice that I've missed out on blast and guided qualities. I'm going to leave this for another episode, but these two can come in very handy during combat. Huh, look, sorry, I've got to take this. Go for GM Hooley. GM Hooley, this is Darlene. Hey, Darlene, how's it going? Got some good news for me? That item you were looking for? I've got it. Excellent. My friends at the University on Itabitty will be ecstatic. Look, I have someone with me right now and I have to get something from the ship. Let me drop this guy off and I'll meet you there. Okay. Better hurry, though. Horax possibly got wind of your little operation, and he's not going to take too kindly to you stealing his artifact now, is he? Yeah, that's a pretty good point, Darlene. I'll see you soon. Listen, my friend, you never heard any of that, right? I best let you off here. Trust me when I say that you don't want Horak on your tail. Thanks for the chat, though. We'll catch up soon, right? 
Thank you, Gentle Beans, for listening to Gaming Tidbits with Team Hurley. We hope that you've enjoyed your stay. Thanks, come again soon, my would like to give special thanks for the continuing support of the Order 66 podcast and to the voice talent of Susan White as Darlene from the Dice Brains podcast. If you have a question that you would like answered by GM Hooley, please contact us by the most archaic of technologies email at gmhooley at d20radio.com. Goodbye. Alright guys, what, uh, what, what is the, do, do we have some tentative titles for tonight's meet? I'm a chokasit. Oh, see, look at that, boom, I heard, I, I talked, I spoke, we, we doubled right there, so go ahead again, Bill. I'm a chokasit. <laughs> I was gonna say, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Yes. Tonight, guys, we come to the meat of our show with a return to one of our popular segments that we haven't been to in far too long, The Force Will Be With You, where we discuss in detail a specific force power. Not only how it is used and what its various parts and pieces are, but how the GM and the player can use the power in creative ways. And tonight, we are fulfilling listener requests from three different people who contacted us uh, via email and Facebook, curious about another iconic power frequently wielded by black-helmeted Sith Lords and purple-saber-wielding Jedi Masters. Bind. One of the more powerful options for combat control or narrative gravitas, Bind runs the risk of being misunderstood by both players and GM, and when unplanned for, can seriously impact what would otherwise be a, a normal, healthy encounter. Special consideration needs to be taken for this flashy ability, and tonight, we're going to take a firm grasp on this Force power. So prepare to accept apologies in a most final way, Gamer Nation. Let your enemies choke on their aspirations and be disturbed by their lack of faith as we discuss the bind force power tonight on your Order 66 podcast. Don't underestimate the force. For my ally is the force. And a powerful ally it is. You've taken your first step into a larger world. You must feel the force around you. Stretch out with your feelings. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Ta-da! <laughs> All right, so uh, before we begin, gentlemen, uh, like we do, here's a quick little boilerplate. So, <clears throat> we've said this before, we're going to say it again. We are going to jump right into some deep discussion of the mind power tonight. But we're doing that under the assumption that you're already familiar with the basic mechanics of using a force power. Power upgrades, opposed checks, committed dice, all that jazz. So if anything that we say is unclear to you, then pause the show and go back and give a quick re-listen to the meat of episode 83. We talk about the move power there, but before that... The beginning of the meet is all about the mechanics of how force powers work. So if you listen to that part, it'll give you a good primer into what we're about to talk about now. So re-listen to that if you need to, then come back and see the rest of this show. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Bind, folks. Bind. Released in, released in the Force and Destiny Core rulebook, 
This is literally the first Force power we see in the Star Wars saga. Introduced in A New Hope, when Vader made Admiral, uh, Admiral Monty regret his poor choice of words. Aside from Vader throwing, out, throwing it out like candy in the original trilogy, and even nearly killing his wife in, in the prequels, the bind power has been used by Luke Skywalker, Kylo Ren, and even Mace Windu, which is how General Grievous got his raspy cough. For this discussion, we will be referencing the write-up on page 286 of Force and Destiny. But before we get into the mechanics, let's talk briefly about the troubled history of this power and its various incarnations in prior Star Wars RPGs. This is interesting. I, I you know, to dark side or not to dark side, Phil. That is the question I pro I pose to thee. Because I mean, you, mm. you you guys you guys remember in Saga Edition how it was, right? I mean, oh yeah. In 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 prior systems and editions of the Star Wars RPGs, the power, which was often called Force Choke, was considered like a dark power, right? I mean, it was typically only used by those those calling upon the dark side. Right. Um, we, we had like, right. de we had debates, Dave, on the old show about whether Luke Skywalker used bind on the Gamorreans because, oh God, wouldn't he get dark side points for that? Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I remember talking about that. So, I mean, th there's like, there's a history of it. It's kind of interesting. And I really like in, in true force and destiny fashion, what FFG has done with the power. Um, in that it, it's sort of given bind both light and dark leanings, kind of depending on, on how you do it. You know what I mean? Um, and mechanically, depending on the color of the force points you use. Um, yeah. And, you know, what I really I find intriguing, and I think it's worthwhile mentioning this, is it really, as we'll talk about, opens up this ability. I mean, it offers, especially as you upgrade, I mean, some truly unique differentiation in the same power from the same upgrades, just as to whether it's being used in a, in a light side or dark side capacity. Um, yeah. And that, that's, that's, that's really intriguing. And we see a few powers like that um, in Force and Destiny. I mean, notably, you know, Heal Harm and, you know, Protect Unleash, but those are even named dual, in, with, right. with dual, dual names. But here, one power, but even then, those, those upgrades, man, they have different paths within them. It's really interesting. Indeed. So let's start with the basic power, right? Yes. <clears throat> First off, this sucker costs 15 XP to buy into, and in case you're unaware, that's five higher than most. Mm. And as we've said, you've got to have a force rating of two, at least, to do it. The you know the core basic power lets you target a character at short range and pop a force point to immobilize them until the end of your next turn. Okay. So, reminder, immobilized is a specific condition, if you need to look that one up. That's page 223, Force and Destiny Core rulebook, where the affected character cannot perform any maneuvers, even those purchased by spending strain or advantage. And this means they can't aim, assist, draw a weapon, move, or even interact with the environment. The most they could do is pop an ability that costs an action or attack, assuming they have a weapon drawn. Right. Uh, but, but, if you, you used any dark side points to generate your force points for the power, then the target also suffers one wound per force point you spent on the check, which ignores soak. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's really nasty. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> now, 
From there, Bind has two distinct paths of progress. Let's call them crowd control and the cannel whoop-ass. <laughs> Starting with crowd control, the base power is part of this, insofar as the ability to immobilize. That's what this is about, locking down foes at a distance. And it's bolstered by upgrades that let you do it at longer range, affect more targets, and move them about the and move them about like Dejaric pieces. Yeah. And it like it's for for me it starts with those range upgrades. Like there's three of them, mm-hmm. like like right there down the left side of the tree. You spend a force point, you increase the power's range by a number of range bands equal to the range upgrades purchased. You may activate this multiple times. Um I mean with all three ranks purchased, two force points could let you activate the power and lock down a foe at extreme range. And that is that is disgusting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I know. And with the range upgrade, you also got to consider, consider the control upgrade. So, you know, one of these control upgrades just, you know, smack in the middle of the three range upgrade is heavy crowd control. It's moving the target. So with this control upgrade, you can spend a force point to move the affected target one range band closer or farther away. Now, unlike unlike Chris's, this one cannot be activated multiple times. This is what Kylo Ren does in Episode Seven to the yeah. to the, the the underling who pisses him off. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if you watch it, yeah. Which brings us to magnitude upgrades. Uh-huh. Also, there's three of them. One after the other on the left side of the tree. You spend two force points to affect one additional target within range per rank of magnitude purchased. You may activate this multiple times. This means that with three force points, you can three force force points can let you immobilize four targets if you've got all three magnitude upgrades, and five force points if you can muster it will let you lock down seven foes. God, it's it's. You know, the, the magnitude upgrade's tough, man. I mean, what are your thoughts on two force points? I mean, that's we don't see that very often. True, but look at it this way. Um, technically, a minion group is one target. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, you got a point so there. So you're locking down that. Okay, so here comes a squad of five stormtroopers, one minion group, two force points to lock them down. That seems fair. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. That's fair. That's fair. And it's a huge status effect. It, that is, I mean, it is. You are mobilizing them, or worse, as we'll get to. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let's 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 talk about that. So you know when you when you talk about that pow- the the upgrade tree for this power, there is crowd control, which is kind of what we went through. The other part, mm-hmm. the real the real sexy part is uh, what did you say, Phil? The can of whoop ass. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the other half of the upgrade tree. I mean, this, this is about dealing damage and just applying nasty conditions to your targets. I mean, crowd control is is just keeping the battlefield as you want by preventing movement. The can of whoop ass is hurting people badly. Um, and for me, this this starts with the strength upgrades. Um, there are three of them. Uh, you can spend one force point to stagger the target for a number of rounds equal to the number of strength upgrades purchased. And you can <laughs> activate it multiple times. Um, so staggered. Reminder, very similar to Dave's reminder, uh, page 233 of the Force and Destiny Core Rulebook is a condition in which the target cannot take actions. <laughs> None. No attacks. No nothing. Um, uh, they, they, they can't even downgrade actions. Like, it's, it's, it's horrific. So between this effect and the effect of the base power, okay, which immobilizes them, they are literally... You can't do squat. You can't do squat. <laughs> you, you can take reactions. That's about it. And, and, and incidentals. 
Um, you are literally completely kept from doing just about anything meaningful uh, if a strength upgrade is applied to you and you end up being staggered in addition to being immobilized. That is disgustingly awful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so let's talk about the uh, the other control upgrade just below the base power, uh, the strain uh, strain cost for actions. And with this control upgrade, you can spend a force point to force the target to suffer strain equal to your willpower characteristic whenever they take an action. <laughs> that's just not right. That's horrible. That's that's just horrible. I, I can't. You want to do something? Force rain for you. I can't. I, I can't even. Okay, I have to say, um, uh, uh, Celinde, who's in chat, uh, one of our newer listeners, uh, says, I made it. He says, hi, guys. I binge listened to this podcast. So he binged all the episodes and finally caught up just to have you disappear for six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and then Timuron responds, life used bind on our hosts. <laughs> Seriously. We were sta- we were staggered and we were immobilized. Yes, completely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the, the, after the control upgrade, you get the duration upgrade yes. where you commit three, yes, three force dice to sustain the ongoing effects of the power on each affected target. Now this means you need a force rating of three or higher. But if you're there, you can commit it and just keep the nasty effects going indefinitely while you slice through your immobilized foes. That's not very nice. No, it's not really. No, you but get, it is effective. You got to be pretty hot. You got to be pretty powerful to do this, though. And it's it's very interesting to me that the control upgrade requires a commitment of three force dice, but you only need two force dice to buy into the power. I've not mm-hmm. seen that anywhere else. Um, so I don't know. That's interesting. But yeah, man. Can you imagine you're you're literally holding them all in place and just walking past? Schnick, 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 schnick. I'm, yeah. Do you think this is? Yeah. You think you think Vader? Okay, okay. Rogue One, Rogue One, Vader in the ship hallway scene before the end of the film. I thought Vader may have used move, but the more I think about it, maybe Vader used bind, like when he lived. What do you think? Pretty sure you slammed both. the dude across the slammed the dude into the ceiling. Yeah, slammed the dude in the ceiling, and he just held there. It was like up there, helpless, and he just ran his saber through him, sliced him across the chest. Yeah, that could be a very descriptive way of using bind. Yeah, yeah. One of them he definitely used bind. He definitely used bind because that that trooper was like you know locked up. Oh yeah, like, yeah. I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. See, see, there you go. And if those guys were all minions in one group, yeah, yeah, <laughs> wheat <clears throat> mode through like wheat, dude. Dude. Okay, and the uh, last part of the uh, the cannon whip ass is the mastery upgrade. Um, you know, only a few force powers have a mastery upgrade. This was introduced in Force and Destiny. Um, quite expensive to get to and to obtain. It's at the bottom of the upgrade tree, but it lets you do the crazy stuff. Um, if the check wasn't already opposed, then you can make it opposed with discipline versus discipline. And if you're successful with that with that opposed check. You just get a cool effect. Um, If you're a good little boy and you activated the power without spending any dark side points, then you can just immediately stagger the target until the end of your turn without spending, uh, until the end of your next turn, without spending extra force points or even having any strength upgrades. 
Um, and if you're if you're a bad little boy and you did use dark side points to activate the power, then if you succeed on the opposed check, <laughs> the target just automatically <laughs> suffers a critical injury, and you get to add plus ten to your crit roll for each force point you spend on the damn check. God. <laughs> I want to be a dark sider. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, critical injury. Here you go. Hey, it's critical injury. Oh, oh, and I spent five force points. It's plus 50. Guess what? You're dead. <laughs> wow. All right. So, for the player's perspective, let's talk to GM Dave. Thank you. <laughs> Though, uh, <laughs> it's not really easy to get this power or really advance it quickly. Um, this is something that a lot of force sensitive players are going to go for and strive towards. But for you eager players know this, this is not a toy. It's not for Padawans. This is the first power that we've talked about so far that has a requirement of force rating above one. So yeah, it requires two at least to take. Furthermore, some upgrades pretty much only work consistently consistently or at all if you have a force rating of three or better uh, you know magnitude requires two force points to pull off and that's hard to do if you're dedicated to being a lightsaber or light cider lightsaber what am i talking about light cider without you know without at least three force dice and, and, and duration literally requires you to commit three force dice so this is not for your newbie little force users no oh, I'm, I'm a noob i'm a noob's force user no <laughs> no now the fastest way to even get to a force rating of two is by going the consular sage which offers two ranks of the force rating talent in the tree but even then it's going to take a minimum of 135 xp spent just to get there this means that a human starting with a morality of 50 thus 120 xp could get there with only 15 earned xp assuming they put nothing into characteristic upgrades, skill ranks, or extraneous talents. And that's just kind of a bad idea. <laughs> Even then, you still need another 15 to buy into the power. Yeah. Realistically, a knight-leveled character could get there and still be somewhat rounded, but the point is that for the PC, using bind is going to take a while. Not to mention that upgrading through this power is no cheap endeavor. And as you can see... There is a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy crap, this is powerful. Yeah. I mean, you think you think Protect Unleash is really awesome? I mean, I'll take Bind over that any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Mm. Yeah. The the truth, well, actually twice on <clears throat> Thursday because now we're doing the show on Thursday. But yeah, yeah, we'll tell the truth time. is, yeah, most Sundays. Um Many players are going to want this power so they can literally crush windpipes from a distance. Yeah, and yeah, okay, sure. But the real benefit is bind in the myriad of conditions and nasty conditions that you can put on the target. And honestly, I mean, this is something the GM should be very well aware of when planning an encounter that has bind in the mix. And I know that there are stories already being told in the chat room of people who have done it. <laughs> Yeah, and what this means as a PC in terms of how to use this power, I mean, you got to think about this, guys. If you're if you're gonna get bind, as Dave said, the damage options are nice, but that real game changer is about the crowd control, about the status conditions. I mean, that's both in combat and narrative encounters. 
Um, you know, in, in, in combat, in structured encounters, I mean, immobilizing or staggering the nasty lightsaber-wielding Sith Lord while your friends plink away at him with big guns is a pretty surefire freaking good tactic. Um, you know, and so is so is separating a deadly melee threat from his pals while you deal with the squishier ones. Um, additionally, if you really start upgrading this, drop, dropping stagger on multiple foes can literally save your groups your group from a TPK in an emergency if you're able to pull it off. And th- th- those are those awesome role playing moments where players are like, "Fuck it, I'm spending dark side points." You know what I mean? Because <clears throat> because it's like I need to pull this off, or we're gonna have or we're gonna have a wipe, you know. Um, and that's th- those are those moments that those moral conundrum moments that really let the morality system shine, and and don't shy away from that as a player. So really consider that when you're using the power, at least in terms of structured encounters. And then also look at the powers, but benefit from a narrative standpoint. Bind can help with coercion or interrogations radically. Just ask. Vader or Kylo how to get a point across quite succinctly. <laughs> a successful bind check might work in place of a coercion check depending on your GM, or at the least give you some boost dice or an upgrade to a future coercion check. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And now for the GM perspective, let's go to GM Dave. Thank you. <laughs> bind can be a bit of a danger uh, to an encounter. Okay, GMs, listen up. If you're not careful... Uh, this can this can screw you up. Um, you need to plan appropriately. Know what your players can pull off, and but still find a way for let to let them shine. Um, bind becomes a major tool in your arsenal to make encounters exciting and challenging when used correctly. Now, to me, like and this, I, unfortunately, I, I wish I wish I could say most GMs do this well, but they don't, unfortunately. And and some GMs are really good about it. But to your first point, Dave, GMs listening, you've got to prepare and you've got to plan. You have got to know. It, it, I mean, instinctually, if I mean immediately from memory, when you're planning your encounters, if one or more of your players has bind, and to what degree they've upgraded it, you've got to know this. I mean, being able to anticipate if one or more of your threats in an encounter can be immobilized or staggered is critical, and it really should inform the threats you include. So, Now, you also want to diversify. Yeah. While a common boss battle might be a single badass Sith Lord nemesis, using the two turns in a round rule introduced with Inquisitors, realize that a good application of bind will destroy such an encounter or character. You've got to include mooks if needed, to, or keep them in reserve, have them ready if the PCs are able to pull this off, and make sure that you've got a mixture of ranged and melee characters to throw at them. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And don't invalidate the PCs' capabilities, and this is really the tricky part. Yeah, okay, you need to prepare and to plan, and yes, you need to diversify. But, <clears throat> and let me say but, the absolute worst thing that you can do is not let the PC who's focused on bind use his badass ability and shine. Let them lock down a big threat. Just have more in the wings. Give them a nasty melee-focused foe to affect with bind. Just also have some rain foes in the wings. I mean, yeah, it sounds easy, but in application, you've just got a plan for it. Absolutely. And lastly, guys, as Dave said, this can be a powerful tool in your arsenal. 
Use bind with your own NPCs. Give them the power. It's nasty. Just when you do this, remember what it can do. Bind is an incredibly awful tool that you can whip out in a boss fight yourself, probably scaring the living shit out of your PCs in the process. However, when you use it, make sure not to go, excuse me, to go overboard. Um, stacking up ranks of magnitude upgrades is kind of a douche move, actually. Mm-hmm. So is the duration upgrade. Um, when you whip this out, you want to scare the crap out of your party, but you want to really affect one PC with it and focus on the one that's the most immediate threat to your NPC force user or to their goals or the overall NPC party. Um, however, feel free to whip out range upgrades, strength, control, mastery, but the key here is that you can be and should be nasty and devastating with bind. Just make sure that effect is short lived. Um, yeah, that's right. Don't bind your PC that has bind. <laughs> I mean, I mean that that's really it. It's just not any fun for your players if they're locked down for longer than a single turn. Um, and if you do follow that course, make sure it costs your NPC force user their action each turn, um, so the rest of the party can party can focus on breaking them. Um, so you know, you know, yeah. I was about to say one of the things. Going getting back to a, a, from a player perspective for a second. One of the things that can be useful in a scenario like this where a GM is using bind against you and your character is locked down, because of the nature of the initiative system in the narrative dice system, really what that could simply just be is depending on when initiatives are, that just means that you're not going until after this guy goes again next turn. Mm -hmm. You don't even necessarily have to lose an action. You can just like, okay, guys, um, looks like the initiative order is this. Um, There's one PC slot after all the NPC slots, so it looks like I'm probably going to be taking that one. So, yeah. So, you know, keep that in mind. Strategically, if you do get locked down by this power by a GM, look at the initiative order and see if there's a way that you can manipulate the the, the order of actions to allow you to technically not lose a turn. Yep. One of the more intriguing, cheese-tastic ways to manipulate initiative in this system, but it's totally valid. Um, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> probably get damage in the process. <laughs> Free hits. Free hits. Um, so, okay, Gamer Nation, this is bind. We've talked about the power in itself. We've talked about how to apply it, how to use it as a GM, how to use it as a player, um, how to optimize it the best, and, and really what it does. Um, hopefully this discussion is out there. And I see uh, Nenru uh, Luak uh, is actually one of the guys who requested this, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, he, he said, I asked this question wondering if it was that powerful, and I am now sure. Yes, it is that powerful. So this is a really cool tool for GMs. It's a really sick tool for players. Um, just make sure that it's applied correctly, and, and hopefully this discussion has guided you down that correct path. Now, Gamer Nation, we want to know what Force powers you'd like us to cover in future segments of The Will of the Force. So be sure to tell us. Head to the forums at d20radio.com forums. You'll find the Order 66 podcast boards and a dedicated thread for this particular topic where you can post up those show topics you want to see. Or you can take to Facebook. Uh, where you can Facebook Facebook us, Facebook us on the Facebooks at, Facebook. the, at the Order 66 podcast Facebook page. You can also email us, GM Chris, GM Phil, or GM Dave at d20radio.com um, and, and make your request. Hmm. So it's very good, very good. Well, gentlemen, it's been a while. Should we get to some questions? Yes, yes. 
fantastic. He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Welcome to Messages from the Edge. This is our regular show segment where we take the time to answer your game and rules questions about the system. And you might be asking, how can you get us these questions? Well, the easiest way is to go to our forums or our Facebook page and post it up. D20radio.com slash forums. Head over to the Order 66 podcast board. After you register, you'll find messages from the Edge thread. You can email us if you like. GM Chris, GM Phil, GM Dave at D20radio.com. If you post it up on Facebook, you'll get lots of people to look at it, too. And, of course, we've got an Order 66 Facebook page. Duh. We've got a D20 Radio Facebook group, too. Hey, you know what? Either one. And finally, if you're brave enough, if you're intrepid enough, and if you're smart enough, you can leave us a question via the voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline at 262-D20-RADIO, 262-320-7234. That said, gentlemans, our first question today, question number one, comes uh, from across the pond, Richaroo via Facebook. He has a question that sunders our expectations. <laughs> see, what, see what I did yeah, there? Yeah, see what you did there. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> All right, he asks this. Hi, uh, I'm hoping you can help, or at least point me in the right direction. I've searched online and for clarifications, but this seems to be something people are simply divided on. I just wondered if you know of a clear dev ruling on it. Can you sunder armor? The debate seems to be centered around the word wielded in the sunder description, and that cortosis attachment doesn't make it immune to sunder, just breach and pierce, but it does make weapons immune to sunder. And whether this is a deliberate vulnerability or because you can't sunder armor. So it was, you know, it wasn't mentioned. That's the question. Please, 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 can you help? <laughs> of course, dude, we can help. <clears throat> In more ways than you think. Um, <laughs> so this, uh, this, it's good to have friends. Um, <laughs> uh, this, this was a tough one. Uh, wh okay. So what, 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 what is he talking about? Okay. Gamer nation, Richeru paints the picture pretty well, but to, to clarify, there has been to our research, only one very confusing dev answer on this particular subject, which only seemed to be brought up in the first place because of the fact, as he mentions that the cortosis quality, uh, page 163 force and destiny core rulebook is listed as preventing sundering when applied to a weapon. In other words, a cortosis weapon can't be sundered, but this anti sundering ability of cortosis is not mentioned when cortosis is applied to armor. So people started asking, why is it not mentioned? And this led to a host, a metric shit ton of online arguments, <laughs> okay, with with people on one side saying, well, uh, it's not listed because that's how cortosis works on armor. It doesn't make it immune to sundering. And the other side saying, uh, no, it's not mentioned because you can't sunder armor. And, and that's the question. Can you sunder armor? Now, the sunder quality page 164 of the Force and Destiny Core Rulebook, calls out that the attacker targets one item openly wielded by a target, such as a weapon, shield, or item on a belt. Um, some people point to this saying, It doesn't say armor! 
And their opponents say, yeah, it doesn't have to say armor. That's why it says, such as, it's just examples. And then the other people say, it says one item openly wielded. Armor isn't wielded. And their opponents say, you're being pedantic. Stop it. <laughs> um, last year, um, when asked if Cortosis armor could be sundered on the dev Q&A boards, uh, the devs responded, literally, you can sunder the armor with Cortosis. People don't know if that meant that Cortosis armor and all others could be sundered, or only if Cortosis armor could be sundered, or that armor could only be sundered with Cortosis weapons. It was very confusing. <laughs> so um, I just decided to ask the devs. Um, and and um, a, a, big, there you go. Um, a big thank you to Sam Stewart, RPG manager at Fantasy Flight Games, for taking my call. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, you pick up the phone and you call the designer. Yeah, I, ju- well, I just the, I, the, the developer. And I, I don't like to do that. I normally don't do that. These are very busy people, and furthermore, they're my friends, and I, I, I don't like imposing like that. But I, I was very frustrated and couldn't find a clear freaking ruling, so I just asked Sam. Um, per Sam Stewart, yes, you can sunder armor, but it is tricky. Sam says. If you reference the Weapon Maintenance section, which is page 166 of the Force and Destiny Core rulebook, you'll see that sundering an object leads to, to steps of damage. You guys know this, right? Minor, moderate, and unusable. Um, and there are, are, are penalties listed there that are, that are very clear when you're talking about weaponry. But for armor, Sam suggests that uh, you only apply the added setback die or increased difficulty die uh, for minor and moderate damage, respectively, Uh only those should only apply to checks that relate to moving around. Um, basically, as the armor gets more damage, it's just going to become more cumbersome to move around easily in. Um, and when the armor moves to major damage and gets that fully disabled or unusable status, then you can wear it all you want, but it simply will not provide any soak or defense for the wearer. Um, and all that makes pretty solid good sense. So there is your official dev answer. Thank you, Mr. Stewart and um, uh, Richard Rue. I hope that uh, answers your question. Mm. Booyah. Booyah. Um, <clears throat> next up, question two. Um, we have a, a question from listener 2080 who says the following. He says, hey, guys, I've got a question concerning disoriented targets and the prey on the weak talent from the uh, and, the, and so I've got a question concerning disoriented targets and the prey on the weak talent and the harm force power. One of my players created a new character, a Polis Masin aggressor who uses his telepathy and expressionless face to terrify his opponents and attack them using the harm part of the heal harm power. Can prey on the weak talent be used when you make an attack with harm on a disoriented opponent? The talent states it's used with combat checks, but it doesn't state anything about using the force. Okay. First of all, the idea of a wee little expressionless, mouthless, polis moss and aggressor is creepy as hell. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to put that out there right now. Dude, that's my, that's, I'm like, I, I have, a, I have an NPC for my next session right now. Right there. Just right there. Kudos to you, player. Hell of a concept. Okay. But getting back to your question, 2080, I think you answered your own question, but let's dig into it. One of the aggressor's talents is Prey on the Weak, page 149 of Force and Destiny. 
which is a ranked talent that lets the aggressor deal plus one damage per rank to one hit on a successful combat check against disoriented targets. They're out of it, and you can smack them for more damage. The question is, does this work with heal harm? The core power of harm, page 293, Force and Destiny, lets you spend a force point to just inflict wounds on a foe, equal to your intellect, which ignores soak. It's nasty, but unlike other force powers, this ability is not called out as a combat check, because it's not. It's a force power check. Aside from the force die, you may not even be rolling dice if it's not an opposed check. So what is a combat check? This is actually clearly outlined on page 210 of Force of Destiny. It's a check where you use a combat skill to attack a target. Heal Harm is not doing this. It isn't called out as a treat this as a combat check, like move is. So it's not a combat check. Hence, Prey on the Weak doesn't apply. Per the raw, rules as written. Now, having said that, could you allow it? Mm. Frankly, I don't see a major issue with house ruling it. There's only a couple ranks of Prey on the Weak in the Aggressor Tree, and one of them is at 20 XP. That's a lot of XP expenditure for two points of damage to an attack. If I were a GM, the player, especially considering the cool concept that he's got, would probably allow it, even if it would be a house roll. Me too. Creepy as hell, man. Creepy as hell, man. That's creepy. Damn. All right. So our last question tonight comes in via email from Jasper Cronin, who has a Starship Combat Equipment Query. He says, greetings, Order 66. I'm a bit late comer to the system, but our group is loving it. We played Saga Edition religiously, but I finally made the switch to FFG's game. It's really different, and we're still getting used to it, but we're liking it a lot. We had a situation come up in our game last week, though, where we had a snub fighter encounter in orbit of Nar Shaddaa. The party is a group of Renegade X clones who now work for the Huts. And one of my players fired off linked proton torpedoes at an enemy transport. He hit, but he couldn't activate linked. The player maintained that the second torpedo, as, as it has the guided quality, would get an attack at the end of the round. And it became a big issue at the table because I disagreed. Are torpedoes that powerful? What are we missing? Help us. Ah, mm. uh, Jasper. Well, you know, not to be outdone by Chris, I uh, reached out and I got Max Brook and Huckleberry and uh, <laughs> a couple of the other guys on the phone and just to get an answer for you. Oh, did you now? Uh, no, I didn't. I really didn't. <coughs> <laughs> we uh, we solved this one ourselves. Um, <clears throat> so, Jasper, look, I think there's a bit of a disconnect here, and let's clarify that. Uh, proton torpedoes are nasty little boogers. Now, while a bit non-standard, it, it is possible to have linked proton torpedo launchers. Uh, look at the linked quality, page 164, Force and Destiny. And that means that multiple shots are fired, and with two advantage, you can get an extra hit with the extra shot. In the case of torpedoes or missiles, firing a linked launcher means that two of them are being fired or more if your linked rating is higher. And yes, you can spend a couple of advantage to have the second missile torpedo hit. That's all good. And in your scenario, the player, it sounds like, didn't have two advantage to trigger linked. Here's the rub. Because of the guided quality, which is detailed on page 163, Force and Destiny, uh, and I think this is this might have been what you guys missed, doesn't just happen. It requires 
three advantage to activate. So if the player didn't have two advantage to activate Link, then they certainly didn't have three to activate Guided. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it possible to activate Guided on a Linked missile that didn't hit? Sure. You could choose not to spend the advantage on activating Link, I suppose, and spend three to activate Guided on the second missile. But why? The Guided attack at the end of the round will attack with a much lower dice pool than what the player can can muster. So there's really no point in doing that. And in your case, if the player literally did not have the advantage to activate Linked, there's no way he could have activated Guided. Now, I play that a little differently. No, oh, I mean, not, okay, not, thanks, not the guided, Phil. Not, no, no, not the guided part. The guided part is, is totally legit. I'm talking about the the initial part where it's um, uh, firing linked proton torpedoes and the extra hit means that you deplete a shot. The way I do it is you make an attack with your proton torpedo launcher. If you happen to have the advantage to score and activate linked, then you can use it and you just happen to fire off a second missile. I don't require you to say I'm firing two missiles without oh, knowing oh, whether or not the link. Oh, oh no, no. Oh, you, you realize that's a house rule though, don't you? Really? Yes. <clears throat> no, no. I mean, r rules is written. When you apply the linked quality to a starship weapon, it, it is always firing the double shot. Always. I mean, like oh, if, if you, like if you have, if you have linked lasers, they're literally going doo, 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 like you see, like when they're fired, you don't get to choose just to fire one thing. When you link them, they are linked, which means if you fire linked launchers by raw, two missiles will fire. Oh, dig it. Okay. Just, no, Paul. no, you, no, 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 no. The thing is, you're a GM, and you're a pretty damn good GM. You can run it any, any way you damn well please. That's damn. Oh, thank you, man. But, but just to let our listeners know, that would be a house rule. Right on. I mean, it's a nice little house rule, you know, because you do have limited ammo. Well, that's the thing. That, that's that's what sucks about linked launchers is that, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's raw, but it sucks. That sucks because, like, I mean, listen, concussion missiles aren't that bad, but proton torpedoes, do you know how expensive those damn things are? <laughs> yeah. So your your rule is really nice for your party, Phil. <laughs> right. I mean, when was the last time a proton torpedo missed in Star Trek? Oh, man. <laughs> He went there. Yeah. Dave. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right, guys. Well, thank you for the questions. Uh, if you got more, please get them to us. We we absolutely love them. And um, again, a big thank you to Mr. Sam Stewart um, for assisting us in answering that one quandary and, and uh, calming the chaos and adding more knowledge to this game. Well, now it is time to come to the end of our show. And we guys, we want you to join us for our next episode because we already have the idea in the can. It's already come in via listener request. Um, I almost did it for this episode, guys, but 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 the request to do this force power came in some time ago and, and by several people were really needed to get to it. But we got a really awesome call-in request um, from a listener. And next episode, we are going to be returning to space combat. Um, this time, however an in-depth GM-focused discussion on how to make space combat encounters and adventures truly shine, be breakneck awesome, but focus less on the tactical and more on the narrative. 
something that our requested GM and many others I've spoken to have had a serious problem with. Um, you know, space combat for a lot of players and GMs tends to become a pretty menial exercise in tactical management um, because there's a, there, there can be a lot to do. Um, so we are really eager to show you how to spice it up, make it a lot more narrative, and still keep that seat of the pants flair. Uh, we'll be talking about Raw. We'll be talking about a lot of house rules. Phil, you've got some fantastic ones. Um, and, and just overall ways to really make Starship Combat shine a lot better at your table. You know, I, I absolutely love this system, but I'll be the first to tell you that the one thing I really think could use some improvement is the Starship Combat rules. They're good, but they're not perfect. N not like other parts of the game are. Um, so we will be focusing on that in our next episode. Um, and if you guys have any thoughts on that matter, tell them to us. Become a member of the Gamer Nation. Head to the forums, d20radio.com. Register. Post your mind. Uh, leave us a liner um, like Lance did at the start of the show and tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. That's 262-D20-RADIO, 262-320-7234. Email us, GM Chris, Dave, or Phil at d20radio.com. So... Uh, we, we we got through this show pretty quick, guys. Do you guys have any time for some post-show? I can do it, yeah. I can hang. Dave? Sure. Because we have something really important to discuss in post-show. Well, let's do it then. Okay, alright. Well, with that, uh, Gamer Nation, thank you all. Glad to be back on the mic. <sighs> we missed you. This is GM Chris, wishing yeah. you peace, love, and good gaming. And keep those dice rolling. May those dice be with you. Post-show. Post-show, post-show, post-show. Um, so, okay, um, who saw the new trailer for episode eight? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. It looks so good. It looks ah, so good. Um, ah, I've, been, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this episode. I've been waiting to talk to you guys about this. I've been waiting so hard to talk to you guys about this. I peed my pants. I peed my pants. I shit in my pants a little bit too when I saw the trailer. There was pee and shit like running down my legs, like ah. And then and then I like you know yeah I went to the doctor because that's really not good you know. But um, no, anyway, I, yeah yeah it's really it's really it's really it's really yeah yeah. Everybody, <laughs> I saw a joke on it was like um, it was a picture of, of one of those dudes you know those those America dudes you know, and it said uh, it, yeah. it said uh, I piss red white and blue. My doctor told me it's pancreatic cancer. I told him. To, <laughs> I told him to shut his commie mouth. Wow. <laughs> um. Anyway, dude, guys. Oh, okay, talk to me about the trailer, man. I mean, we had we had. It wasn't too spoilery, but there was a lot of there's a lot of speculation, a lot of like ooh things uh, about this particular trailer. I mean, um. I, we, I probably should have had you watch it before we started talking about this. 
just a re- mm-hmm. a, a rewatch. But I mean, big thoughts about the trailer. Yeah. Okay, I liked it. I I guarantee you that the line "This isn't going to end the way you think" is not in the movie anywhere. Why do you say that? I think it was directly. I think it was directed squarely at the fans. Huh. Yeah. It's a possibility. That's just my own theory. Because they have done that. They've had lines appear in the trailers that did not appear in the film. Well, that's usually because like, they get edited out. Well, Jen Urso's line, like, we're rebels, we rebel, you know, that sort of thing. That line wasn't in the film. Well, I just I just so. figured that that line got cut on the editing room floor. But, um... Well, the difference is, you saw her say it in the trailer. Yeah. You didn't see anybody say this. Yeah. I'm just saying, I mean, that's just, that's, that's the, that's the taste. That's immediately what I got is, you know, old Ryan's throwing us a head fake. Okay. So at the end of the trailer, um, the big thing that got me, the big thing everyone was talking about is, is the line where, where, uh, she says, you know, I, I, I need to understand my place in all this, you know, can you show me? And Kylo extends his hand to her. Okay. So I, right. the, the question is like, is is she going to go dark, which is what they were leaning towards, or is she going to is she is she trying to redeem him? Or option three, are are they finally going to kiss aside the light dark duality of Star Wars and focus on gray is the way to be? Huh. That's a really deep question. There. Oh, put that in your pipe and smoke it. I don't even know where to start there. <laughs> I really don't think this is going to end the way I think. I mean, like, what? <laughs> All right. So, if the vibe of the if the vibe of the movies is paralleling the original trilogy, yeah, this movie has to end ugly. Yeah. Um, it could be. That it could be she's trying to play Kylo. Maybe. And, you know, I mean, there's there's the part where she's obviously getting uh, she's and this is what made my heart sink. She's getting tortured or something with the scream. Yeah. By enemy of Han Solo getting tortured with the scream. She's getting tortured by Snoke. Yeah, I I know. Just like, you know, I mean, Vader was doing it to, to Han. So. You know, so is Luke gonna is Luke gonna come to the rescue again? <laughs> oh Lord, please! God. I I no. think I think Luke is going to. I I think Luke is the one who falls in this. I think I think that's going to be the thing no one's expecting. And I saw an article just today where about the, po? Um, no, about um about a marketing uh stand that went up in a theater. Um, somewhere, and you know how, like the for for marketing, they'll often have like the what, what I call the duality stands. Like for a superhero movie, they'll have the superheroes on one side and the villains on the other, and they'll be in cool poses, and it's like choose your side, you know that kind of thing. 
And yeah. and this was one of those big giant film marketing stands in a theater, and it was like light or dark, choose your side. And on on one side of the of the like the light siders, you saw all the heroes, and then you know like they often do where they have the the old wizened leader in the back, like overshadowing it all, like really big, like standing yeah. over them. They had Luke Skywalker. Okay, and then on yeah, the but half his face was red. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. It was Luke Skywalker, and then on the other side of the banner, where the dark side was, and they had all the villains. Instead of Snoke that you would expect to see overseeing the bad guys, it was also Luke Skywalker. Oh, uh-huh. misprint, misprint. <laughs> And it was like, and he was wearing like a dark robe and stuff. And like, especially the stuff you got from the first teaser, you know, where Luke, like, like Luke is completely disgusted with the Jedi Order. And like, and there was the part in this trailer too, where he, he's like, you know, he, he's very clearly afraid of Rey. He's afraid of her power. Right. And he pretty much, he pretty much says, you know, I've only seen this once before. I wasn't afraid of it then. I sure as hell I'm afraid of it now kind of thing, you know? And, you know, basically he's going to, he's going to refuse to teach her, I think is what they're, what they're leaning towards. And you know, maybe that means that she seeks out teaching elsewhere, so she starts to turn dark. You know, maybe it means that he gets fed up and and goes dark itself. I don't, I don't know, dude. I think there's a very clear and easy explanation for this. At the beginning of the movie, he's light. Somewhere, he's killed by Arya Stark, and that's who it is on the other side. I mean, easy. You know. I probably wouldn't have a problem with that if that was the case. That would be the most awesome crossover <laughs> in the history of crossovers anywhere of anything. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Okay, what about Porgs? What did you think about the Porg in the cockpit with Chewbacca? <laughs> he's so cute. He's gonna be oh. the new. He's gonna be the hottest toy. That that's that is becoming such an infestation throughout the Legion. What little Porgs? Yes. <laughs> so what are people doing? What are what are troopers doing? Hoarding them, <laughs> having giant blocks of porgs. You know that. You know that. You ever see that cartoon where it was like, you know, the, uh, someone do it. It was like a two-page comic where it's like Luke standing there, you know, old Luke standing there on the edge of a cliff, just contemplating the universe. And there's porgs everywhere. There's like one on his head, a bunch around him, one in front of him. The next page, like Luke contemplates the gray side of the Force, and the next panel is him just like kicking out one of the porgs, go flying off the edge. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a guy in my legion up here who uh, uh sean todd who does that costume old old luke skywalker and he recreated that comic <laughs> it's hilarious it's awesome so porgs are going to be like the new tribble yeah i think yeah porgs are going to be the new tribble the new tribble or the well no like they're going to be the new bb-8 is what they're going to be because bb-8 was the cute the cute toy last last movie yeah. right yeah mm-hmm um, and yeah, they'll, they'll, I'm interested to see what they'll pull out, what, what they'll pull out for episode nine. I don't, I don't know. So, okay. <sighs> what do you guys feel about the announcement that Abrams is returning to write and direct episode nine? As long as he doesn't make a hash of it like he did with seven, I'm, uh, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I think he's going to be a little bit of a control freak again. Most of these guys are. Yeah, but JJ took it to it a completely different level. Explain. He he just seemed like he relished in it. I mean, maybe it's because of the 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 um the story about how 
when episode seven was coming out and celebration that year and all the guys in the Legion who were contracted who contacted to make the um, the first order stormtrooper suits for that convention. And like a couple of weeks before, JJ went like, nah, maybe I don't want to reveal my stormtroopers yet, so let's just cancel the whole thing. Yeah. And then lawyers got involved. And these guys are like, you told us to do this and get these ready, and now you want us to sit here. If you don't want these hidden, somebody is going to release it. So it'll get out anyway. Either you can do it at the convention the way that you originally wanted to do it, or some dude's going to reveal it on the internet, and really we can't do anything against it. Right. Yep. So. Anonymous picture at that point. Yep. Hmm. So... I don't know. Um, creatively, I'm all right with it, but I'm just hoping that it's literally not a reskin of Return of the Jedi. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know how I feel. I've. I've. I've gone through a bit of a like. I, I've gone through a bit of an up and down with Episode Seven. Like. Um, you know, right after it came out, I absolutely loved it. And I remember when we had our review episode, you know, and, and Dave, you were the one of the three of us that was like, I hated it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know, you know I, haven't, I haven't seen it again since. Really? I've watched Rogue One about 17 times. See, that's, that's, that's interesting. You, you should rewatch Ep7. You should watch it now with the knowledge oh, I will. You have. I, I will, especially since I've got... I've got the I've got the tickets to the double feature thing. Okay, well, like here's the thing, and 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 I want to talking about Rogue, like Rogue One was amazing, but and, and this could be because of the nature of what Rogue One was as a film, but as I've had time to really digest both films, like I I left Rogue One going, wh- like when I when I left Rogue One, I, I literally went wow. After watching that episode seven, did suck. And I felt I, I felt that way for like a month and a half. And then I, you know, it kind of subsided. And when Rogue One came out and I watched it again, um, and I've seen it multiple times, I saw it multiple times in the theater, um, I, I'm a bit, I'm a bit, a bit of a different mind. Um, and, and what I mean is I felt Rogue One was missing, like, Rogue One was missing something that Episode 7 had in spades, and Episode 7 was missing something that I think Rogue One had um, in spades. Episode 7 was missing, I think, some some original story beats. Um, I think it was it was missing a really action-packed third act and more cohesive uh, story that kind of really pulled you along with it. But what, what Episode... I mean, that, that's what Episode 7 was missing. But what Episode 7 had that I don't think Rogue One did was episode seven really put a lot of effort into making me give a crap about the characters. Like I actually care what happens to these people. And it, it was very subtle and very intentional that I actually care. I care about Ray and Finn and Poe more than I care about the characters of Rogue One. And you know what? I think that was a hundred percent intentional because walking into the film, you know, everybody's going to die. And like I said, that could be it. That could be it. But if they had made me care about them and then killed them, I think the film would have been even better because it yeah. would have oh, had, it would have had that it, incredible impact. So they but they made they me didn't... care about Jen and Cassian. You know, really? Yeah, I did. I really did. And because it was, you know, it was I was looking at it like a tragically unconsummated love story. But 
you know, a lot of people didn't get that. I don't know how I did, but a lot of people were like, no, there's no way. I'm like, I think it was. But, you know, that was just one of those things. Okay, Low Tour Nerds in chat says he's more excited about the Han Solo movie than episode nine. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> we were talking about that pre-show that I, that Disney is in a no-win situation with that one because if they mess up just a little bit, they're going to get fried. Hans, Star Wars Han Solo, the movie no one gave a shit about being made, and they decided to make that. I don't, I don't care. Yeah, Han Solo is great. I'm not interested in his. <laughs> I'm not interested I mean, I, in the adventures I, I of like young Han the, Solo. Yeah, you know, I'll go see it. I will. I will go see well, it, and yeah, hopefully, they, it's fun. They could, they could shit Star Wars into a bag, and I'd go watch it. It's Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just, I, I, I noticed, I. I I, I'm afraid that there was a severe change in direction when they fired a uh, when they fired a couple of directors that were known for putting on really hilarious bits, and then they went with Ron Howard, aka Backdraft. You know, I mean, you you can't really get more diametrically opposed. So mm-hmm. you know, what are they going for in this film? If they go if they go straight drama and all that, I'm afraid they're just going to bust. Hmm. But who knows? I, you know, I may be wrong. I mean, I do like the I do like the casting selection they made for the young Lando. So, yeah, Donald Glover's amazing. Um, yeah, uh, he's, he's amazing in everything he's done. Uh, <sighs> I, I don't know. I'm I I just I'll watch it. I'll, I'll watch it. But I'm like I'm so not I'm so don't care about the Han Solo movie. I'm like, um um, give I me. Agree with that. You don't. You don't. You don't. You oh you do agree or you don't agree. I do. Oh, you do. Yeah, I do agree. I'm. I'm. Like you said, I'll go watch it. But they could have done so much more. They could have done something else. I. I mean, yeah. Give me. Give me an Obi Wan movie. I'd even. And I'm not even a Mando lover, but give me a Boba Fett film. Show me. Yeah. I mean, I. Yeah. What was so redeem gr- him? Redeem make him bad. You know. Yeah. yeah. You know something I would have loved to see. I would have loved to see Darth Plagueis. Yeah. You know. Go back and give me that. You know, go back and hell. You don't have to go all the way back to, you know, to Darth Revan or something. But still, you know, give us something else. No, I'm I'm kind of in line with Huli here. Like the only established character I'd like to see more of is Obi Wan. That's really it. But Huli's in chat, and he basically is like, why why can't we just get films that are standalone with new characters? Like for me, that was what was so brilliant about Rogue One. It was. Mm. It was it was like oh wow this is all new and it was it was the different side of a it was it was the side of the coin we never saw okay and and that was really cool and very well written in that regard but it's like yeah these are new characters great oh oh my god it's Darth Vader oh my god it's Tarkin okay but I mean they weren't the focus of the film you know mm-hmm. um oh it's Doctor Evazan and Ponda Baba. <laughs> 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 um. But yeah, give me, give me, I just, uh, be, be courageous enough to realize that, and it's, it, it's like, and maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not speaking for all Star Wars fans here. Maybe I'm just speaking for me, but what, what that decision tells me is that I don't know that Lucasfilm understands why people actually like Star Wars. Because a decision to to make a young Han Solo film 
tells me that they think I like Star Wars because of Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and because of those characters. No, I like Star Wars because it's of the universe, of the world. So give me more things in that. Give me new things in that. Is that me? Is that just me? I don't think so, man. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the great suggestions in chat. The last days of Alderaan. Tell me the story of the many Bothans. <laughs> right, no, no, tell, tell me the story of the great hero, many Bothans. You guys heard of many Bothans? Yes, I heard <laughs> yeah. of many Bothans. Many Bothans died, you know, to bring, <laughs> to bring us this information. Uh, <laughs> who is, who is many Bothans? I want to know more about many. Is he a good man? Is he a bad man? Is it a woman? Just named many. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now since Bothans didn't exist as a species until West End Games, and we knew nothing about them, and all we get is many Bothans died to bring us this information, what if Lucas and Kirshner, not well, not Kirshner, uh, who directed who directed Return of the Jedi? Oh my God, Kasdan. Thank you, Kasdan. Uh, Kasdan, um, was it Kasdan directed Return of the Jedi? I thought he wrote. No wait, hang on. Anyway. If Lucas and and the, what what if, what if what if they actually meant many Bothans to be an individual, you know, like they had a character in their mind, like a hero, like many Bothans, you know, many Bothans, expert spy of the rebellion, master saboteur, info gatherer, and he died to bring us this message. What if that was the intent behind it? But you know, West End Games just like, oh, lots of Both. What are Bothans? Let's just make up Bothans. See, uh, Richard Marquand. Richard Marquand. Thank you, God. Wow, you can cut a corner off my Star Wars nerd card right there. I could have told you that in my sleep if I hadn't been thinking about it. Um, mm. So, you know, but like, I don't like, like people say, what about, you? like, Dave, you were saying this in pre, like, what about Yoda? Well, they've got 900 years of stories. Tell me a Yoda story. I don't want a Yoda story. I don't need to know anything more about Yoda. I don't want you to tell me anything more about Yoda. Knowing anything more about him, where he's from, who he is, who his race is, anything, would just ruin the character. He's He's unknown and mysterious, and that's part of who he is don't 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 ruin that for us you know i don't know i don't know i got got anyway i'm a little passionate about this <laughs> smidge a hair just a smidge in a hair just a smidge in a hair um so phil i know you've seen it dave have you seen the trailer uh or trailers now for bright <laughs> No, I don't think I have. You, oh when, my when we get done, you need to go Google Bright Trailer 1. And they, they released like a 10-second teaser like last year. Then they, uh, several months ago, released a trailer. And then they just, like yesterday, released Trailer 2. This is a $90 million Netflix original film starring Will Smith. That is huh. Lord of the Rings meets Training Day. Okay, it, it's like it's basically Shadowrun. Yeah, it's it's Shadowrun. It's like it's like modern day Los Angeles, and it's a story of two cops, but like elves and orcs exist in this world, and it's huh. it's like his his partner's like an orc cop, and it's like, dude, it looks intensely good. Like I, orc cop. like I, I aside from Star Wars, this is the movie I am most excited about, and it comes out on December twenty second. I mean. 
On Netflix, yeah. On Netflix, I was like, oh my god, it's Shadowrun, it's Urban Arcana, oh my god. I was I was completely floored. I mean, Phil, you you obviously you I saw you share the latest trailer on Facebook. I mean, I mean, what are you what are your thoughts? I'm I'm all over that damn film, all over that damn film. It it looks so good, and Will Smith is is, is classic Will Smith in this. Classic Will Smith, classic, 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 classic. Um, yeah, people still think it's a, people people still think it's a TV show. It's like no, it's a two hour film that, and this is Netflix. This is Netflix like whipping their dick out and putting it on the table. They paid. <laughs> they, they they were they were like because there were there were studios bidding for this proper studios, but this is such a risky concept because it's so unusual. All right. And it's like studios are like, um, um, okay, we, we want it, but we're only going to pay this much money for it. We're only going to commit this. And then Netflix was like, 90 million. We'll do it. 90 million. <laughs> it was like, okay. And I'm curious to know if Netflix will be successful because this is like their bid to say, look, you want to make a feature film, you can come to us and we can make a feature film because, I mean, as you know, a, a large scale film, because as of yet, Netflix has not shown us they can make a decent small scale film. Um, <laughs> they're, they're really good at making series, really good at making series, but not films. Um, I mean, they're, they're not films that look like they should be on the big screen. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm really excited for Bright. I'm really excited for uh, Star Wars. I don't know. What else, guys? What else you want to talk about in post? I just really wanted to yabber about Star Wars. Because <laughs> yeah, we haven't so long. <laughs> okay, so I really wanted to yabber about episode eight. Not true. Uh, I don't know. I'm still just, you know, hanging in there. You're exa- um, You're exhausted. I can hear it. Well, you know, to a to a point, I mean, to a point. Other otherwise, it's just um, you know, it's just that I'm 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 spending a lot of time just basically hanging out during the day, so I'm on the internet everywhere and trying to figure stuff out and can't wait till Genesis drops finally. So yeah, so you know when game. when is that gonna happen? All right, so here's what. All right, not including stuff like um, Ghost of Dathomir. Usually, the average is when a book goes to at the printers, it's usually about an average of 10 weeks before it's released. Typically. So, typically. So, it went to printers sometime mid-October? Early October? Something like that. So, it basically worked out that 10 weeks was going to be kind of just before Christmas. Now, got to give a month for stuff like, you know, got to give a month for push and pull. So it's entirely possible that it could drop before Christmas, but most likely it'll probably drop probably mid-January. Right. Um, kind of what I'm guessing. Yeah, okay. yeah. So that's probably. I was guessing. Going. I was going to guess that it hopefully was out before my birthday, which is uh, February the fourth. That's probably so, likely. That's probably yeah. likely. We can also tell that they're getting close to releasing it because they're starting to increase the number of articles. Yep. Increase the number of articles, which is good because that's going to give more ammunition to Hooli and his his forthcoming endeavor. The Dice Pool, the Dice Dice Pool podcast. That's why I'm really enjoying these gaming tidbits from GM Hooli because, as I know all too well, once you start your own podcast, you ain't got time for shit. (laughs) Nope. So I'll take these gaming tidbits from GM Hooli while we get them. (laughs) 
Oh, right. No, it's good. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited for Genesis. I, um, so we're working on the Harry Potter treatment and there is another treatment I'm working on. It's actually going to be a lot easier to do than HP. Um, because I mean, you can take the sci-fi rules practically as written. Um, uh, and just drop magic. You're, I mean, add in a few mutant powers. Um, and I'm doing, I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a treatment for paranoia with Genesis. Mm. There you go. Because I love me some paranoia. Friend, computer. You guys friend. know, you guys know that that somebody in the gamer nation is putting together art for the Tron thing, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be so cool. There was an article that went up on FFG's site about Genesis recently. There, it's Phil. You talk about the articles forthcoming, um, mm-hmm. and for people who really want to understand how magic is going to work in this system, they Sam Stewart gives a oh, really, yes. really good article about it. Yes, um, where where and if you if you are able to read between the lines successfully, um, they explain to you that they don't have force die and that there's no such thing as like magic powers like like we have force powers that they're a lot more generic by design and it, 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 it basically everything i read it's like it, wow this looks like it's going to be really clean and i'm using i'm, I'm using that as the quote unquote user powers on the grid oh that's awesome absolutely that's perfect that's perfect that's you just can use them for perfect. all kinds of things you can use them for superpowers you can use them for psionics you can use them for whatever yeah but yeah, like, you know, like when Kevin Flynn just all of a sudden touched the floor and all the bad guys became vulnerable, you know? Yeah. There you go. And then the thing, you know, the thing that he sucked Clue back with, you know, those th- those things. Yep. Yep. It's just, yeah, that's, it, it, it's, it's a very, it looks like it's going to be very <sighs> generic, wonderfully generic in a very good way. And so I... It's a genesis. A generic system genesis. Wow. It's amazing how they did that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. No, it's good. I'm eager to see what kind of treatments come out. I I think there's a lot of interesting stuff on the horizon. There's a lot you can do. You can pretty much, with what they're doing, you could take any intellectual property and run with it. Um... I mean, aside from what we're making, what are the things that you, I mean, is there any other things that you guys are really excited to, to do and play in this system? Because I don't know about you, I'm, um, I'm, I'm eager just to get Phil, some plain Phil old City fashion. City of Heroes? Yeah, Phil, yeah. <laughs> What's well, aside from what we're already making? Like, I'm, I'm excited to get some good old-fashioned fantasy on the table with it, you know? It's solid, if, man. You're going to try and recreate D&D. <laughs> Okay, now now let me let me, <laughs> there is a very serious online conversation about using Genesis to play Star Wars. Yeah. And that might sound ridiculous. I mean, theoretically, dude, you could do it. You don't get a force die, but you know, what, what exa- are you gonna do? That's exactly correct. And people are like, you know, why would you do this? It's like, well, because it's gonna be a cleaner version of the system. It's not gonna have so much, you know, hefty rules like the FFG Star Wars system does. And, you know, making force powers a lot easier, things like that, if, it, if it's modeled after the magic system. 
but there's arguments for and against. You know, I mean, the, the this system was was clearly designed for Star Wars from the get go, and when you have things like the yeah. Force die and especially morality, it's and conflict, it's so representational of Star Wars. Obligate yeah, obligation. Um, I, I don't know. All they all they mean when they say it's going to be cleaner is that it's going to be easier to make overpowered characters. That's all that means. You know, because players inherently don't make great developers. True fact. Yeah, that is a sad but true fact. That is a sad but true fact. Every time I made a play, yeah, you want to, like back in the D&D days, yeah, I, I made a prestige class. Seriously, I'd be running games. Like, I, I made my own prestige class. I was wanting to know if I could, if I could branch into it. Really? Okay, let me read it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not just no, hell no. I I had I was playing. Um, this is back in Living Greyhawk days for third edition D anD. D. Yeah. Um, I had a, a player come to me. He's like, I made my own prestige class. He wanted to make a sumo wrestler. Okay. Mm. And I, I was like, okay, well, that's actually kind of cool. I'm like, I'm like, that's that's awesome. All right. And so he made this prestige class for called sumo, but basically it was the most overpowered like. Like, it was a con-based class. So, like, you did, like, at the penultimate point, you weren't even attacking with strength anymore. You were attacking with con, with constitution. Uh And I'm like, so your uber stat is con. So you'll be unkillable because you have a high con, and then you'll be a melee monster because you have high con. No. No. (laughs) You, you, You haven't, you have not... You, you, well, you probably have thought this through, but no, I've thought it through, and no, this is a bad idea. Yeah, players make inherently poor developers. So yes, they do. Yes, they do. I'm looking. I, I would like to give a crack at real weird war. Me too. Weird. I, I love weird settings anyway, like the alt, alt history kind of things. But but uh, yeah. but the the. The pulp aspect of Weird War is really appealing to me. Of 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 all their IP settings, that's probably the one I, I agree, Phil. I'll probably gravitate to first. Yeah, it just looks you know fun. what I might try? Hmm. That- I might try recreating Mouse Guard. Hmm. I don't know. I don't, and and the funny and, and the the idea just came to me because I'm looking at all my Mouse Guard books on the shelf, and I'm like, damn, that'd be something. Well, you've got. I mean, Burning Wheel is a fine system. Don't, don't. Yeah, don't, and that's the yeah. thing. Burning Wheel's so simple. Yeah, I mean, Bur- Burning Wheel one has won so many awards, and it's it's that 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 crest of the narrative wave that has been sweeping the industry right now. But uh, I mean, um, then again, I could just you know you could just go in a completely different direction and make something like bugs. <laughs> <laughs> It was a role-playing game for ants. <laughs> well, I mean, truthfully, with Mouse Guard, you can just make a fantasy setting. It's just that everyone's mice. Yeah, and yeah, that's true. And that's what, yeah, maybe could basically. I think it was Ben Erickson. It may have been Linda, but it was. It may have been Ben Erickson as well, who wrote an article on D Twenty Radio not too long ago. It was a review. Uh, have you guys heard of Pugmire? Oh yes. Mm. It's like a it's like a fantasy RPG, but you play dogs like. Like, you know, and, and like, like the humans are like gods, like they're mythical, you know, the humans who came before, you know, yeah, like, cause, like, cause it's like the world, it's a word to the world, yeah. but the humans are gone and, and like, you know, there's, it's like po- almost post-apocalyptic. Yeah. 
and it's like it's like the the canines have evolved, you know, and it's like you know, like they they have like the rules of their religion and like the number one commandment: be a good boy or be a good dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> but apparently, Pugmire's a riot. I'd love to get that on the table. Um, I have a PDF. You can still buy it. There was actually an RPG published many years ago um, by Kenzer and Co. Uh, I believe um, called Dogs. Um, D a w g dogs, and it's it's not it's not anthropomorphic like Pugmire. You are literally playing dogs, and it's like it's like it's like a percentile based system, and you you have to pick you you pick your 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 general breed class, like if you're a working dog or a toy breed or you know whatever, and you get all kinds of perks and bonuses for that. You, know, you have to choose whether you're a, a pet or a stray or a cur or you know a- anything like that. And you the you know it, it looked really intriguing. The most um, the most fun aspect I saw of it was that every dog had a an, a derived stat called canine compulsion. And if you were a, a purebred or a pet, like a house pet, your canine compulsion was incredibly high. But if you were like a street dog or a cur or a mutt, it was a little lower. But it, it, it was your um, Warhammer had something similar. It, it's the it's the ability you you roll that you don't ever want to roll. It's when the GM makes something bad happen to you. And it's your canine compulsion, like, like, you know, chasing a car or running after a squirrel, you know, like regardless of anything else that's going on or what you should or shouldn't be doing. Like, you know, I'm going to grab that piece of meat. Like the GM be like, you know, yeah, you see a tasty piece of meat on the table. You know, I need you to roll canine compulsion. And you like, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to roll it. Um, That was... (laughs) That that was a, that was a fun mechanic, and it had a few adventure seeds in the back of the book, and one of them was that Cerberus or Kerberus, whatever you pronounce it, the the three headed dog of the underworld, Hades' dog, yeah, Cerberus. Cer- yeah. Cerberus had had escaped um, from hell and was like in your little midwestern town, like flattening cars and stuff like that, because it's it's the size of a tank, and. You know, and like the National Guard's been called out and stuff to deal with this, and you have to like like your pack has to has to guide him back to the underworld. <laughs> um, hey, maybe we do, maybe we do an RPG set in Stranger Things where they're playing an RPG. I don't know. Isn't maybe that just, Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I- yeah, but uh, yeah, that's my that's my Netflix compulsion that's about to happen. Strange things. Two season two comes out tomorrow, man. Comes out tomorrow. Nope. I am super. excited. Yeah, it's funny how our Kickstarter launches tomorrow too. Ooh, coincidence or coincidence? Hmm. Or is it a Stranger Thing? Oh, bum, bum, bum. oh what uh, what what time are we going to launch the campaign? Is it going to be like midnight Eastern? I mean, that's that's morning. Or should we wait till the morning? I, I think you should wait till the morning. Okay. I think yeah, should, I think, so I think you should wait till the morning. That's what I think. That's just me. Yeah. 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 All right. Morning it is. <laughs> oh, all right, boys. Hi, right, Doctor Phil. Get yourself some rest, buddy. Thanks for coming on. We'll do. Just glad I was able to do it. Hey, man. Me too. Throw it held out. Stay strong, bro. You a pimp. We love you. We're Thank you, we're, man. we're 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 looking forward to five months and a week from now. Damn right we are. Damn right we are. I got games to run. Yeah, you do. <laughs> All right. Good night, gamer nation. And good luck. Peace. 
You've been listening to the Order 66 podcast brought to you by Ethan Kinsey, GM Scott, Jeremy Bensley, Bert Ingley, Joshua Taylor, and William Thiel. This podcast and related websites are not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, 20th Century Fox, Walt Disney Corporation, or Lucasfilm Limited, and its content is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. All original content is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and Gamer Nation LFC. Yeah.